He's uh, investing in Freak Scene, my previous restaurant. Okay. And we've been, we found a site in Parsons Green, which we love. Oh, amazing. And so, yeah, that's shaping up really well. Oh, good. So there'll be somewhere for us to visit, Felix. Come and visit, yeah, if it's not booked out. I will save you a seat. (laughs) If it doesn't go west of Tottenham Court Road, you realise how far west Parsons Green is? For certain people, I will go west. (laughs) I I won't go south is my problem. Oh, really? Oh. See, I thought South of the River was just a Perth thing, but apparently it's a global thing. I can oh, never, yeah, right. I can never, yeah, like, true, yeah. Yeah. I can never find my way. I, like, can't work out which way's up. <laughs> Try the tube system. Yeah. 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 But there isn't one South of the River, yeah. really. Hardly. I live in Ballam and there's a, there's, we're on the Northern Line. It's okay. just the Northern okay. Line. But. But, uh, <laughs> okay. Cool. It'll just be a chat anyway. Okay. Yeah. And we'll laugh. <laughs> and you can swear. Oh, yeah, you can definitely swear. Yeah, I've, I've heard other previous okay, episodes. Yeah, there's a bit of <laughs> effing and jeffing going on. Yeah, <laughs> a bit. Hi, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I'm Philippa Sturt, and alongside me is my co-host, Simon Walsh. Hello, listeners, and thank you, Philippa. And today we're joined by Scott Hallsworth. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's nice to have two Australian accents against one English it accent is. It, for I'm a change. I'm feeling a bit outnumbered, <laughs> I'll be honest. So, well, Scott, we'll talk about your backstory as we go along, but what's keeping you busy right now? Well, quite a few things. There's, uh, I often do a bit of consultancy work uh, around the, mainly the Middle East or Eastern Africa, Western Africa, places like that, out-of-the-way places where people are building restaurants and Japanese and Southeast Asian being all the rage. Uh, I end up in places like that. But in the meantime, sort of in the background, actually, um, I'm relaunching my restaurant brand Freak Scene, which was... I love that name. It is a good name. It's a very <laughs> you know good where it comes name. from? It's, um, no. no. Go on. I, I only used it because my dad hated the idea when I... When I Proposed it to him, and he said, "No, you can't. You can't use that." And I said, "Right, that's the right reaction. That's yeah. what, we've got to go with this. We need to disrupt things." But Freak Scene's the, the name of a song by a band called Dinosaur Junior, and they were sort of fairly prominent in the '90s. In fact, they're playing here soon, and Freak Scene was one of their indie rock hits okay. from from the states. And um, and Freak Scene, I just thought it was a kind of cool thing because it, it was is. meant to be a pop up initially. And I think we extended, we, we probably stretched that definition a little bit too far. It lasted three years mm-hmm. and eventually uh, we shut the doors for the last time when, um, the, you know, restaurants were ordered to close because of lockdown, number one. So that was the end of that for a while and our landlord wasn't very sympathetic. And, and where was Freak Scene number one? Freak Scene, well, <laughs> Freak Scene number one started as a pop-up in Clerkenwell opposite the uh, Smithfield Market. Okay, yep. We were yep. only there seven months and another property, a better property uh, came up in... Just a hop, skip and a jump from here. Yeah, not far at all. But um, we, we ended up in Soho in on Frith Street, which was fantastic, in the original Barafina restaurant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. And yep. that was absolutely killer. Freak seems very rock and roll, unapologetically... You know, loud and brash, and and just pump full of flavour. That was that was our thing. You know, the plates didn't look super super refined or anything like that. But when you ate it, you needed to go, "Holy shit, yes!" That's and amazing. if we didn't get that reaction, then I think that's that was the mark. That was my barometer whether I knew I was doing a good and job. And what or not. is the food? What is the the style of food? So, I mean, back my background is sort of largely in high end Japanese stuff. So there's an element of that in there. Some of that sort of there's flavors and techniques, but it's more Southeast Asian. So you think about Singaporean flavors, a bit of Malay, a bit of Thai. 
and a bit of, you know, Japanese like by way of sashimi and things like that. So we did things like sashimi pizza and <laughs> wonton bombs and just things. And we had some naughty named uh, shots as well, you know. so I'm really hungry now. Can I just register that we should have thought about this before we, we should, did the podcast? We, we should have done. So Freak Scene V3 coming out. Yes, it is. Yep. It's looking really good as well. We found a great little spot. When I say little, it's, it's a small room and I think small rooms um, contain the atmosphere really, really well, especially the way we do it. We play a video of Takeshi's castle up on the wall. Nice. So, you know, there's, you can see the atmosphere is quite fun when you go into it and the, and the music's sort of indie, hip-hop, even country. There's all kinds of stuff, but nothing nothing super obvious, yeah. just just kind of cool cool vibes and um, smallish sort of menu, you know, 15, 20 dishes maybe. They change all the time and, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it's just a, it's natural hospitality. That's what we try to put across, natural hospitality. There's nothing forced. There's no scripted kind of, hello, um, can I get you an edamame? I'm not really interested <laughs> yeah. in the answer kind of thing. Yeah, we, we try to, we used to get a lot of Aussies coming in who were great, fresh off the boat, still quite happy. Still quite happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, seen a cold, long winter here yet, and yeah. they'd come up and love everybody, so that works. And, Scott, I, I get being a West Australian by birth, I get the Southeast Asian bit, but where did the Japanese influence come in? Because, you know, Let's face it, we didn't have that many Japanese restaurants in Western Australia. I think I ate it. I remember eating a, a sushi bar on Hay Street in Perth called Jaws. Oh, um, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's still there, but that was my first experience. But I um, I first started messing, messing about, I'd say messing about, because um, it was the first sort of chance I had a, uh, to, to work with Japanese ingredients and techniques. And it wasn't a very great opportunity, but it was when I moved to Queensland, I was working on uh, Hayman Island in the Great Barrier Reef and I had to make sushi. And they said, oh, this is roughly how you make it. And I thought, oh, I, could, I used to make roulades in French cuisine, so I can probably do this. And I did, I made some beautiful looking things, but it wouldn't have been very good. Um, it was just a messing about. But when I first came to London after traveling around to many other countries, I I kind of stumbled on Nobu, stumbled upon Nobu. and As one um, does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was greeted, I was asked to go for a trial and I was greeted by this uh, tall Aussie dude from Melbourne. He's from Sydney actually, Ben. And um, the music was pumping out of the kitchen and I thought, geez, this is supposed to be a Michelin-starred restaurant. And um, yeah. they're Where's playing, the discipline? Where's the discipline? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why are they playing the cult? Yeah. You know? <laughs> anyway, he um, he guided me through and um, I sort of, uh, you know, did a trial, was successful, got involved and I actually fell in love with Japanese cuisine in, here in London. Okay. Have you ever been to the fish markets in Tokyo? I mean, it's one thing that I've never seen, but apparently it's amazing. Oh, yeah, it totally is. Yeah, I've been many times. Um, it's, it's best to get there at sort of whatever, I don't know, four o'clock in the morning if you can make it at that stage. Grab, grab a huge beer, grab a plate of sashimi or chirashi, you know, mixed sashimi on top of warm rice. Some of that fish hasn't even seen the fridge yet. Yeah, it's still yeah. sort of ambient. Yeah. Sorry, you got God. me on the beer and the sashimi at four <laughs> in the morning. But what I find fascinating is that lots of stuff that's really interesting in Japan happens really early in the morning. So like if you want to go and see the sumos at the sumo stables, you've got to go at four o'clock in the morning. So well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Why? Yes. Why? Yeah. I don't know. They That's train insane. early. They're athletes. <laughs> okay. So, so you're starting a new restaurant. How long is that going to take you? Does it take a long time? How how how's it gone so far? It, it's always very different. It depends on how much money you've got and what sort of runway you've got, I suppose. And you know, when I started Freaks, I just lost 
my previous business to a rogue business partner who'd, um, oh, no. who'd been taking a lot of funds out of it. Uh, and it was a pretty successful restaurant as, in terms of its popularity and its, it started growing. We had four sites. One of them was with the Mandarin Oriental in Bodrum. We, we were doing really well. I, I wrote the book about it, which was a worldwide release. Junk Food Japan, it was called. Oh, wow. I must uh, put that on I my list. I should have brought a copy in. No, Sorry. No, no, it's, it's fine. I, I <laughs> we're can, slowly yeah. collecting a library. We are. Yeah, I noticed so. I should have. Junk, junk Food Japan. Yeah. So um, th- that was a great that was a great thing, and he'd um, he'd been taking money out of it, and to bury that, I suppose he he prepacked it and sold it um, behind my back, and um, I was sort of left with nothing. And Dad was in London at the time, we, and together with my partner at the time, uh, we decided that um, you know it would be great to put a do a pop up. Everyone's doing pop ups, yeah. and that might be a quick way of um, recouping some of the lost cash. Yeah, try even even paying the bills, you know. So. I did that within two weeks. So to answer that question, I, I pulled together Freak Scene, the the logo and the and the recipes and, and a little tiny pop-up site within two weeks and we got going and it was like this rocket that wasn't supposed to take off yet, but it somehow went through the turbulence and got up there and found some clear air. And that's that's what we did. And that was Freak Scene and it's, it found its identity along the way. It was a brilliant journey. But this time around, we're taking a little bit longer, thankfully. Um, we have some more investment lined up and uh, through another Aussie. And I have another business partner who's also an Aussie who's got Hopefully this one's more trustworthy. <laughs> I think just about anyone's more trustworthy, yeah. How do you pick them? I mean, do you have a view with this experience of how to work out who are the right people to go into business with and who aren't? I think it's still really hard to tell because, you know, the last chap who I mentioned previously, we, we were friends. We just go to gigs together and hang out and stuff like that and uh, knew his family yeah. and things like that. So He should have been absolutely rock solid. Yeah, and things change and people change yeah, and yeah. Um, people's circumstances change and maybe they do what they need to do. But in this case, you know, I've gotten to know uh, both partners and um, I, th- I think this feels like a much better opportunity in terms of who I'm surrounded by. And they've got better experiences behind them. Yeah. Uh, one of them's a, a famous Australian um, uh, personality, which I can't, who I can't name just yet. But um, that's okay. We'll get you back when you can. Though, yeah, then, absolutely. So. Yeah. 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 You, you're here soon enough. So, what's your sort of top tips for how to pick investors, stroke business partners? Then, I think it's just getting to know them, you know, and then and then sort of doing a bit of a stress test. You know, you see you see people in reacting in different um, circumstances under a bit of pressure. Under a bit of alcohol. I, I think alcohol is a really good leveler. I think sort of people's true personalities really come out, don't you think? So. Yeah, as long as they don't drink the profits. Well, yeah, I think <laughs> well, that's yeah. an important no, thing to bear in mind. Especially this business, yeah. That, that's, it's inherent in, in hospitality that everyone will want to have a drink after work and then they won't want to have two or three, but you've got to really put a cap on that. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, we deal a lot with people who are looking at taking on investors and taking, you know, I mean, you're taking on investors and a lot of people take a very kind of mechanical approach to due diligence, but I think the reality is it's it, it's all about personality. And I think kind of innately as people, we know if we're going to click. And, you know, you don't have to, you know, you, you can complement one another and you might be very, very different, but you can still kind of, you still get an innate sense you're going to get on. So, yeah, absolutely. Because it's a journey that you've got to take that becomes stressful at some stage yeah, and yeah. you're going to come into come in, come across issues and so on. But yeah, it's great to see if you can, you can work things out and, and talk to each other. You know, I think that's that's one of the great the great things about taking time to yeah. to, to know someone personally. Yeah. I mean, it is. I don't know why I say this because I've never been married, but it seems to me that it's quite a lot. Taking on an investor is quite a lot like a marriage, and part of the difficulty is that that initial period where you first meet them, etc., is kind of like a courtship where you're both on your best behaviour. So sometimes I get because I work with a lot of founders, I get a lot of people who think that their investor is amazing. 
but you know they haven't stress tested it and the investor is telling them everything they want to hear because they want to put the money into the business because they think it's going to be good and it's not until you've all signed on the dotted line that they start to be Things, slightly things more change. aggressive. Absolutely. And that's, I've been through that a bunch of times, you know, with different investors over the years, especially ones that haven't been in hospitality that want to get involved and, you know, they've had a great dinner party at home and someone said, you've got money, you should have a restaurant. And um, But I, th- I think that's the problem with the restaurant game, isn't it? I mean, yeah, everyone eats out and they go in and they go, oh, I could do this better. Yeah. And, you know, I've got a bit of spare cash, so I'm going to become a restaurateur. And the reality is it's, you know, it's hard graft. You've got to have talent. And you've got to have a lot of cash up front, yeah. particularly someone like London, where, you know, at various times, premiums for sites in London are absolutely whopping. You know, other people who are starting a a startup that's some kind of app, they don't need any upfront costs. They don't need a lot of investment. But if you're starting a restaurant, a bricks and mortar restaurant, it's going to cost you a shed load. And everything's a little more expensive than you thought, like the, you know, the fit out and all that. There's always snagging and stuff that ends up costing more, right? Absolutely, you know, and and especially on those high-end jobs, you know, when I used to work for Nobu, the, the fit-outs were astronomical and I, I guess they had the capital, they had access to it anyway yeah. to, to keep it going. But I, I think I remember the fit-out for Nobu Melbourne, so I worked on that, something like $19 million. Uh, you know, we're, we're, not <laughs> talking about, yeah, we're not talking about anything like that in my world, you know, yeah. that I'm, you know when I raise yeah. funds. Is it, is it more scary sort of doing... V3 as sort of more permanent than a pop-up or is your mindset no different whether you're sort of doing a pop-up or sort of something more fixed, I guess? I think it, when you approach the pop-up, you know that, well, I know anyway, that people are more apologetic when it becomes, when, when it's known as a pop-up. Okay. So if you say, yeah, this is a pop-up for X amount of months, come and get it while you can. And by the way, the chairs aren't very good. They don't care. Yeah, they're more sort of forgiving. Very forgiving. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we even had chairs breaking at some stage and people would fall <laughs> off them. They get a bit drunk and that's the kind of place I'm running, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but no one ever commented on our terrible furniture when we first opened it. But I imagine now we're talking about a long-term thing and this is a Bonafide restaurant, um, people are going to have you different have to be expectations. Legit. Yeah. yeah. What, what number of covers are you talking about? I think we're going to have about 46 by the time yeah. we've finished up. So it's not a huge place, but just nice to make it cozy and. And also to give it enough people in there to have a vibe as well. Yeah, you know, so absolutely. That. I mean, if you get a hundred seat restaurant, I've had a I've had a number of those in the past, 100, 120 seaters, and uh, you get a, you get a slightly slow night. The atmosphere is sort of not happening at all. You, you've got to work out how to sort of partition parts yeah, of the room yeah. off so that you yeah. can get a vibe isolated yeah. somewhere. But in this forty six seater, and I mean, if we get twenty five people in, there, it's still going to feel buzzing, cozy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the moment, I'm working on a project in Western Australia, actually. So that hopefully takes me back a little bit more often. All right, son, can you tell us about that at all? Yeah, yeah. I think it was just pre-COVID. Everything was pre-COVID. I sort of... Yeah, <laughs> look at pre-COVID, the pre-COVID and post-COVID, now. and that's <laughs> it, yeah. yeah. So pre-COVID, um, I, was, I was talking with some people at the Southwest Development Commission in Western Australia about the opportunities in my hometown. I come from a town called Collie, and Collie is predominantly coal mining and power stations. And they were talking about coal being, um, the power stations being cut off by 2029 or something like that at the time. But a lot of money was getting pumped into hot, um, tourism infrastructure, actually millions and millions. And I said, that's great. I mean, there's, it's, it's great for the area, but, you know, the problem is the food and beverage really sucks. <laughs> I shouldn't say that out loud, you know, because it's, it's kind of simple fare, but it, it works for the town as it is right yeah. now. Is there a bakery in Collie? 
There still is, yes. Okay, do yeah. they do good pies? Yeah. Well, in a, and, and often now um, uh, you'll serve a banh mi. You know, you might if you get a Vietnamese bakery, they'll be doing incredible French sticks with uh, mini baguettes with um, roast pork and all kinds of things in them. So that, that's a sign of the times, I think, and a brilliant sign, actually. So what what is the kind of traditional food of Western Australia? What are we talking? Meat pies. Meat pies, yeah, it's true. You know, I grew up, I ate God, a lot of those. I have not survived. Oh, meat pies, sausage rolls. Oh, God. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think we have it a traditional food, but certainly now it's it's certainly influenced by. Is it like meat cuisine. and meat and two veg? Is it that kind of thing? That's why I grew up eating. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I grew up eating eating meat and two veg, and then you know, sort of gradually, sort of you had Vietnamese and sort of other Southeast Asian influences. So it was pretty exciting when Perth got a couple of really good Vietnamese restaurants, and then I think that sort of whole that gave birth the whole fusion scene in Perth, and sort of the rest is history. So I think, I mean, you know, if you describe if you ask most West Australians now about what kind of food would describe Perth. They would talk about Asian fusion, I think. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised Right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others Get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. Anyway, back to your project in Collie. <laughs> yeah, so the project in Collie. So I said to them, why don't we take one of the old, because Collie also had a load of pubs and they some of them fell into disrepair and weren't really being used. I think there was one for sale at that time as well. So why don't we take one of those old pubs and do what Jamie Oliver did with 15 here in London where he trained uh, people and sometimes retrained people who are, you know, struggling to find out what they wanted to do in life. And this idea started to get a bit of traction. And I was talking to people at the West Australian Government Office here in London and they kind of liked the idea. And then COVID happened and I forgot about it a little bit. And post-COVID, I had a meeting uh, with uh, John Langelot at the West Australian Government Office here, the Agent General. And he said, oh, the, the Premier of Mark McGowan, Premier of Western Australia is coming over. I'd like you to meet him because I think your idea is pretty good and you should tell him about it. And I said, oh, really? Okay, let's pick this idea up again. And uh, I did meet him actually when we met. Yeah. And then I met him the night after again because they were booked into Double Dragon, my pop-up at the time, for dinner. So I sat with Mark McGowan having dinner and I just sort of let him have a few drinks first and then told him about the uh, project. And he said, yeah, I think this is this is a great idea. And I was sitting next to the under-treasurer for the WA government and he's like, yeah, no worries, send me an email, mate, no problem. But anyway, f- subsequent to that, they've connected me with the right people and this is starting to get traction. So what, I'm, what it's turned into now is taking on a property in Collie and building a kind of hospitality training restaurant, if you like. So it's kind of a hospitality hub. So what I want to do is a restaurant. I want to do some outdoor bar space. Uh, In the summertime, we'll we'll put up, you know, um, a sort of outdoor cinema. Mm. We can put some um, sea containers around the periphery and 
lease that out to local artisans or young budding chefs or people from our own training program when okay. they want to try things out. So we can so teach them a like bit about... So almost like dark kitchens. Yeah, like dark kitchens. But we teach them a bit about not just cooking, but how to manage a small business if you're going to go out on your own because, you know, you might be an incredible chef. But when I first got into running my own business, this is going to sound ridiculous, but a friend of mine from Bunbury in Western Australia, him and I, we opened a restaurant in France. <laughs> How, how ridiculous is that? <laughs> Very. <laughs> we, there's so many stories. We need to come back to that one. <laughs> Mental. So um, I think we need. We could, this gives us an opportunity to teach some of these guys a little bit about you know the the small aspects of well, things to watch out for when you first go into a, like a micro business situation yeah. of your own, running your own show. And is there any good micro brewing going on around Colling? Not yet. Not yet, but there will be. There will be. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 definitely on the plan. Feels like it's a whole diploma in like restauranteuring. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we want to put something together and we're trying to define the package and how we train. I think it's going to start out as a more of a hospitality venue to, uh, in the first instance, get the, get the brand off the ground and get the show on the road and then we'll try to incorporate the various training packages surrounding it. But that's that's something sort of, I don't know, it's more f- philanthropy for me. I don't think, you know, whilst it's going to be a, possibly a, a decent business venture, I just thought it would be something great to put back into the town because okay. a lot of people will of course, lose their jobs when it comes to with the mines closing in 2029 and the power station being switched off for the last time. It, frankly, I'll be honest, sounds like a full-time job. It, so the yeah. fact that you're also opening a restaurant, you're going to be freaking busy. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't plan to open one restaurant either. You know, yeah. our plan is, is, is to, we've got another plan. Yeah, world domination. Um, I've been reminded I've got to bring this up because it's a little bit controversial but quite interesting. So if I go to Wikipedia and look you up, the thing that comes up is the thing about the signs in your restaurant. <laughs> is that on Wikipedia? Yeah. The the signs were um, just just for a bit of art. We wanted to have some neon signs. I wanted to have some neon signs, and I wanted I, they didn't have to say anything because I wanted them in um, Japanese katakana or kanji, and it just had to look cool. Yeah. That's all it was about. A bit of color as well. And so the the designer said, "What do you want them to say?" I said, oh, "I don't know." <laughs> um, I don't know. Just anything think really? So this one are we going to be above the chefs? So that said, this is terrible. You know, I was just not the man I am today, I'll tell you that much. Um, it decided to say, can, can, can we write down sluts in Japanese? And, and the translator said, no, but uh, uh, the only way to translate it, it's, uh, we can write generous pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is actually not a bad translation. And also so much more interesting than sluts. Exactly. Yeah, so imagine yeah. if you could read Katakana and you walked in above the chef's and said generous pussy. <laughs> as long as it didn't suggest it was being sold. Yeah. Which one are you? Well, that's where the problem comes in. Yeah. And the other one said... Um, uh, we have we have girls or we have working girls or something like that in the front window. Yeah. And that was fine for a while. Now, bear in mind that this particular property, this particular Kuributa restaurant um, in Connell Village, uh, the landlord was the Church of England. But <laughs> 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 well, they're a long way away, man. Yeah. Well, long way away. you think they are, but they're not, you know. Thankfully, they couldn't read um, kanji or katakana and... Um, so we got away with it for a fair while and then someone from the media was doing an article on something nearby and maybe a business nearby and they saw the signs and went, what the hell? <laughs> so they decided to write about it in their column or something and make a complaint and then we were getting complaint letters and then suddenly it spread and then suddenly oh, it was no. in the media. Oh, man. And, you know, mainstream media picked it up, which was great. And then um, I don't know what happened. Oh, then it came, then it went to the police. No. <laughs> so the police come in. 
And our manager at the time, who was from Bustleton, actually, a young lady from Bustleton, she was managing the place, great personality, and they came in and said, listen, we know about these signs, we know what they say, and she's cracking up laughing, going, yeah, I know, it's pretty funny. Isn't it cool? Yeah, they're like, "Mm, listen, this is how it's going to go. You can show us around now if you want to. We want to make sure there's no beds in this restaurant. And she's going, what? What? (laughs) Brilliant. Um, Okay. Or we can come back and, you know, with a kind of warrant to have a look around. Later this evening and bust the joint. And she's like, come on then. And she showed him around, cracking up the whole time, going, guys, it's just a bit of artwork kind of thing. And the cops are like, yeah, well, we have to do our job, you know. So that was fine. They went away. And then um, I got a letter from the landlord (laughs) with a managing agent on behalf of the Church of England. (laughs) This was a great letter to get. And they said... um, We've been we've been advised that you've got this signage saying these particular things. Just have to tweak it <laughs> yeah. so that it says "generous cats." Yeah. <laughs> Are you aware of what it says? And um, and I wrote back and said, "Yes, I am." Is there a problem here? <laughs> That's what I wrote back to them, yeah. and they said, "Well, of course there is. You need to take them down." <laughs> but these letters were handwritten for some reason, and. Um, Took a couple of weeks. So. They didn't have a typewriter, probably. Oh, no, the, the church, they didn't split. They might have had a typewriter. I think they had a fax machine. Was the first letter sort of Kind of like, yeah. I couldn't yeah. read it. <laughs> it got chewed up in the fax. <laughs> <laughs> so this brings us to our absolute favourite part of the show, which is the business versus bullshit quickfire round. DQ the music. This is where we reel off a list of key terms and all you have to do is tell us whether it's business or bullshit. Okay. If you're on the fence about any of it, you can say biz shit. Biz shit. But we'd rather you nailed your colours to the mast and said business or bullshit. Rightio. So, Scott, are you ready? I am ready. Okay. Diversity quotas. Business? Yep. Yeah, fair play. Fair enough. As long as it's general. I said anyway. that with an Australian way. Business. Yeah. business. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that rising internation. Yeah. You just love it. Um, stand-up meetings. Probably business. Have you ever had one? Uh, well, in, in restaurants you have one every day. I was just going to say, briefing. yeah. Because yeah. yeah. there are no desks generally other yeah. than the front desk. And so nowhere so. to see it. Nowhere to see it. Well, you shouldn't yeah, mess up the um, spaces that have been delicately put together for the or dressed for the, for the customer. So in that case, I guess it's business. Yep. Uh, caffeine. Caffeine business. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Says he on his 27th cup of the day. <laughs> uh, meeting agendas. I like them. I'll say business. Uh, what about hour-long meetings? That works for me. That works for me. Absolutely, yes. Business. Okay. But standing up for an hour? Well, I run for 15 k's before I have breakfast, so I can do that. Um, office dogs. Bullshit. Oh, I love this man. Are you not a dog person? <laughs> I'm a dog person, but I think if there was a dog in an office that I had to work in, I mean, I think everyone would have excuses to sort of take time out and, and scratch the dog and feed it and walk it around the dog and uh, walk it around the dog. Walk, walk yeah. it around the dog. So uh, our co-host Andy has a dog called Romeo, which is why there's a dog mat over there. I see, yes. So I quite enjoy it when somebody says it's bullshit. <laughs> I, I, I like the idea, but I don't think it would work. I mean... It would be too much of a distraction for me in any case. Yeah. Carbon credits. (laughs) Oh, business. Uh, Swearing in meetings. I don't know how I feel about that, but um, being from the hospitality industry, it's business. I can't help myself, so it has to be business, (laughs) frankly. (laughs) Shit, yeah. Uh, Pub lunches. Ooh, I don't know. I, they, they are good. It's, it's networking, isn't it? It's good to sort of, yeah, business. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a lot of business in this list. B Corps, have you come across those? I have business. Yep, okay, I interesting. In 
I'd love to see if we could, uh, you know, engineer the restaurant model to, to fit into the B Corp. It'd be pretty hard. A bit harder. Yeah, I mean, they're inherently wasteful restaurants and, and you know, in, in many ways. But I wonder if we could do it. Uh, non-disclosure agreements, NDAs. NDAs. Um, I'd like to say business, but I know they're probably bullshit. <laughs> right answer. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Double right answer. Um, unlimited holidays. Oh, that's got to be bullshit. Can't possibly work in your particular line of work. I know, because if anyone finds out that's what I'm doing, we're in trouble. Yeah, I'm yeah, in trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, LinkedIn. Business. Formal work clothes. Ah, oh, bullshit. Uh, another, uh, a B word, Brexit. Brexit? Mm, bullshit. Didn't like it. Sounds good. Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin per se? I mean, I don't know. If, I'd like to say business. Okay, so question for you. Would you accept payment from a diner in Bitcoin? Not Bitcoin. Maybe other cryptos. Ether. Ether. <laughs> right, Ether. Fine. Fine. <laughs> NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Business. And uh, I think we're going to try and... Not pioneer them because other restaurants are doing them, but I think as part of a, a crowdfunding scheme um, initiative we're looking at for second raise, we may get involved with the NFT side of things. Yes. Okay. Feels yeah. like it's quite your wheelhouse, if you know what I mean. Like. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, it's interesting anyway to see what other restaurants are doing, and you know. So, so explain to me how they're being used from a restaurant point of view. Or are you talking about getting kind of an NFT, an artist to create an NFT for you, and then you sort of sell that on? Is, yeah. Yeah. So it sort of be the you know the typical NFT, but we would probably use that uh, to encourage crowdfunding. And then with that would come certain perks. So if you've got our NFT, you've also got that, you know, that, that token that you can sell on or, and it'll appreciate in value probably. But that may, means that you're a member uh, of Freak Scene and that you might get a certain discount or you come to our, like BrewDog did, you come to our AGM, which is this wild party we put on once a year. Um, let's chat later. <laughs> Finally, thought leadership. Thought leadership. Not sure. What's that? It's some stupid wanky thing that everybody talks about the whole time, which is... I think people trying to sell having their opinions as something that can make them money. That sounds like... Did I get that wrong? No, you didn't. (laughs) All right, okay. Well, it sounds like bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. (laughs) So, Scott, you get 30 seconds to pitch your company, your favourite podcast, book, marathon running tips, whatever it might be. Okay, well, I should really be shouting about Freak Scene, the rebirth of Freak Scene Restaurant. Um, the strapline used to be Curious Asian Plates, so it gives you an idea. Small, Asiatic-style um, tappers, if you like, in a kind of rock and roll environment, coming to London again soon. Um, Parsons Green, keep an eye out for it. Freak Scene is the name, and it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. That sounds brilliant. Well done. Oh, I cannot wait. Yeah. We'll be there. <laughs> so there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit and we'll be back with BWB Extra on Thursday. Until then... It's ciao from me. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) 